Remain standing, please, in honor of the Word of God. I need to say that Matthew introduces the Sermon on the Mount with these words. And when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountain and called his disciples to him and sat down. And he opened his mouth. Matthew means to tell you and me that what you are about to hear are the words of God from this man. And we can tell that by the astonishing and stunning thing that Jesus is about to say. Matthew 5, 17 to 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so, the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will under no circumstances whatsoever enter the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Let's ask for God's blessing upon his word and upon Pastor Mike. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful to be here. More than that, we are grateful that you are here through the Spirit, that you indwell those who follow Jesus, and you are with us when we gather in his name. So we pray that you will anoint your word at this time. And I said, Pastor Mike, it's going to be Tim. Please anoint him and fill him with the Spirit. May he bless those who hear, and may we hear what he says and then do what we hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Thought for a minute I was getting substituted. It's uh, uh, it's uh, going to be uh, fun, uh, hopefully, for you guys today to, to go through this uh, scripture. I've had a, a great uh, time uh, preparing it, as I always do. And uh, as I do, I want to um, uh, start by asking you to think about uh, your childhood, or if your parents now think about uh, your, your life, uh, your, the way you're raising your kids, uh, usually in a household, there's a, uh, a parent or guardian who is a stickler for the rules, and then there is uh, somebody, uh, the other uh, spouse, who is not quite as much. You don't have to elbow anybody, but think about either your parents, or if your uh, parents now, think about that now. Is there somebody, uh, who, usually there is, who is uh, more of a stickler for the rules, and somebody maybe who is a little bit more uh, uh, relaxed uh, with the rules? Do you guys know? I know, uh, Dustin, who is it in your house? There's no question it's your mother, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, in our house growing up, uh, it was definitely my, my dad. He was the, uh, the guy who was uh, well, strict or uh, the guy who laid the rules down. Uh, my mom never liked the rule that she ever saw, so she never really paid attention to them. That's why she's been in jail so much, but that's... Um, <laughs> Uh, in our house, I took on my dad's role. I don't think it's any uh, uh, news to my kids, probably, that I probably am the one that would be, would be seen as uh, the stricter parent, the one who enforces the rules. 
Uh, in fact, this played out this week. Uh, just this week, we have a, a three-year-old grandson, Elijah, and uh, we have a coffee table in the front living room, and he likes to play on that coffee table. Uh, and then I said this, this week to Jamie, I said, you know, uh, maybe we don't allow him to play on the coffee table. Is that really a great idea? And she's like, well, maybe we don't let him stand on it, but sitting is fine. And because I'm, I'm an easygoing uh, guy, uh, I, I, I'm a comp- Who laughed? <laughs> because I'm so good at compromising, I said, fine, he can sit on the table and play. It wasn't three minutes later, I looked over in the room, and he is standing, jumping on that table, watching his video. Do you know where, where Jamie was? Sitting two feet from him, taking pictures of it. <laughs> and I said, Jamie, we just set this rule. And she said, yeah, but he's so cute. And he is. He is. Well, in our houses, we have people who are more rules people, uh, but I think it's, it's important to know the background of this sermon, the Sermon of the Mount. Uh, it was in the New Testament, uh, it, well, it was, the New Testament was being uh, written or, or played out, right? They did, these guys at this time, when Jesus went on the hillside, as Dave said, and, and started uh, preaching, they didn't have a New Testament. They only had Old Testament. They only had the Ten Commandments. And so during that time, the, the religious folks of the day, uh, they saw their uh, religiosity by obeying laws. It was all about laws and rules and obeying those things. You were seen as religious or holy if you honored the Ten Commandments, if you paid attention to all these rules. The Pharisees of the times were the, the, the religious folks, the, the pastor-like folks of the time, and uh, they even added to their rules. Uh, some journals would say they added up to over you know, 600 rules that on to the Ten Commandments and, and the Old Testament laws. Uh, for example, it was, uh, it was okay to swallow vinegar, but illegal to gargle with it. Interesting, huh? Anybody ever gargled with vinegar? Good, because it's sinful, apparently. Uh, and in those times, uh, of, the, of the, the Bible days during this time, the people knew those rules, and so they didn't gargle with vinegar so they could be seen as holy, right? So that's, that's the, the culture of the time. I think it's also important to know that it's, it's pretty young in Jesus's ministry. We're on Matthew chapter 5, and uh, in chapter uh, 4, just the one before this, is when he selected his uh, his followers or his disciples, the, the, the men and women that he was going to be pouring into to help lead uh, his church when he left. And among Jesus' uh, followers, there are two primary ways of representing God's uh, kingdom or, or uh, interacting with God's law. One would be seen as kind of a, a legalistic interpretation, uh, somebody who was uh, really uh, strong with the laws. Think about that parent who you said was the, the rule keeper. Uh, there's a legalistic interpretation. And then there was also a minim- minimalistic interpretation, and that was someone who was maybe a little bit looser with the, the laws. Uh, maybe someone who wasn't uh, quite a stickler for the, the rules. And you see that being played out in, in, in the disciples that Jesus picked. Uh, Matthew, who's a guy uh, writing this, this, the book of, of Matthew, uh, he was uh, picked to be a disciple of Jesus. And what he was doing before he was picked to be a disciple was he was a tax collector. He was seen collecting people's money. They were kind of low lives in those times, kind of looked at as, as sinful type of, of people. And so Matthew was really a minimalistic, loose uh, type, a loose on the law type of a guy. 
But then you go and you look at another uh, disciple uh, named uh, Simon the Zealot. Uh, that's an interesting name, Zealot, right? Uh, in all likelihood, Simon uh, belonged to a religious party called uh, the, the Zealots. That's why he, he got that name. The Zealots were people who uh, uh, really uh, obeyed the law of God. And the more you obeyed God, the more closer you would be to God. That's how they saw things. And so you have two different people, uh, Matthew, who was this former tax collector, really loose on the rules. And then you have uh, Simon the Zealot, who all of his life has been uh, trying to prove himself with the laws by obeying the laws. And that's how he would be uh, close to God. And so you see just with his disciples that there's maybe going to be a group of people who were not all the same. Look, if I picked uh, 12 people out of you guys right now and brought you all up right here, we'd get a whole different mix of people between your likes and your dislikes, whether you're introverted or extroverted or you're a night person or a morning person, angel fans or Dodger fans or whatever else, you'd get a whole mix of different people, right? And so that's what you're going to get when you have 12 disciples. And already we're seeing that played out with just Matthew and Simon. And so, uh, uh, the question we have is what side is Jesus going to be on? Is Jesus going to be uh, kind of a legalistic guy like Simon or will he be a minimalist like Matthew or somewhere in between? And so we have three main points uh, this morning uh, uh, and, and that I'm gonna, uh, we were going to go through. And they're very simple. It's that Jesus confronts sin, he forgives sinners, and he transforms hearts. And so underneath that first section, uh, if you have your bulletin, there's an uh, outline there if you want to follow along and, and write in there. The first point is that Jesus confronts sin. I want you to look at Matthew uh, 5, verse 17. This is where Dave started and read. It says, do you not think that I have come to abolish the law? Abolish means meaning get rid of, right? I'm not here to get rid of the law or the prophets at all. I have not come to abolish them, but actually to fulfill them. And I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, not an iota, not even a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. That's a pretty high regard of the law and rules. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless the righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, right? Those are the, the, the smart religious people of the time. Unless your righteousness uh, uh, exceeds them, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. See, many people in Jesus' day thought that uh, Jesus was something special. Something, some things were going on with him and they thought he, maybe he might be the son of God. But then he started doing things against the law. He started uh, hanging out with sinners, he started uh, healing people on the Sabbath day. You, you didn't do stuff on the Sabbath day. And, uh, and, and you know, they're saying these guys, is, he's eating with the tax collectors and, and he's accused of being kind of a, a partier or a drunkard. He's accused of and actually does in those days of, of healing people on the Sabbath day. And, and at that time when he healed somebody of blindness on the Sabbath, the Pharisees and, and the scribes of those times, they didn't talk about the good work he was doing. They talked about him not obeying the law. And so they're thinking, well, is Jesus going to be someone who is loose on the rules, the, the, the commandments handed down to us from Moses in the Old Testament? And, God, and, and so Jesus responds to criticism that he has a relaxed interpretation of God's law by saying this, do you not think that I've come to get rid of it? I have actually come to fulfill the law. 
Jesus delights in the law of God. In Psalm uh, 1, verses 1 through 2, it says, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's a pretty a healthy respect for the law, wouldn't you say? His vision, uh, this vision of Jesus that you should have in your mind is somebody who, who delights in the law of God, who is there to, uh, to not get rid of them, but to, uh, to hold them up. And so when you have the, the, the two disciples that we talked about, uh, there's one disciple who is, who is sitting there hearing Jesus say that he's going to uphold the law, and he's thinking pretty good about himself, right? That Simon saying, yep, that's my Jesus, the law-abiding God, ready to enforce the law. And then, of course, you have Matthew sitting in the corner, maybe not trying to make eye contact with him because he's thinking, oh my gosh, does Jesus even know that I was a tax collector? Does he know that I've been disobedient? That I've not followed God's law at all? Matthew's feeling maybe a little bit guilty at this point. And Jesus is completely uh, rejecting a loose approach to the kingdom, but look at verse 20. He says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that, of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is really new bad news for you and me and for Matthew and Simon at that time. He mentions the Pharisees and the scribes because they're the greatest righteousness imaginable within Judaism at that time. And so Jesus is saying, your righteousness needs to exceed those guys who are almost seen as perfect. It can't be done. Right? He's taking the greatest example that you and I could think of, of religious professionalism, of, of holiness and purity, and he's saying unless that you go above them, you will fall, fall short of what God requires of you. And the disciples, you know, you just picked these 12 guys. Uh, they're like you and I. They're not professional uh, religious folks. They weren't pastors that Jesus went and grabbed. grabbed. They weren't the Pharisees and the scribes, the people who were interpreting uh, the Bible. They were just like you and I. They were uh, ordinary men. They're, They're a ragtag group of people. We've talked about Matthew and Simon, but then you have a whole collection of, of, of fishermen who that's all they did that day is just fished. They knew fish and bait and that kind of stuff. They weren't professional religious people. Reminds me of a, a guy who was a fisherman and uh, him and his wife were having uh, some marital issues. And so they went and saw a, a counselor and they're at a counseling session one day. And the wife was explaining that uh, she just doesn't feel love. She doesn't get love expressed to her, that her husband is uh, just really kind of cold in that area. And so the, the therapist uh, got up out of his seat and he went on the other side and uh, he grabbed this man's wife and he gave her a big hug. And then he grabbed the back of her head and he pulled uh, the, the, the woman into him and he gave her a big passionate kiss. And the husband's looking at this thinking, what in the heck is going on? And so after a, a minute or so of, of, of kissing his wife, the therapist sits back down and he says, did you see that? Your wife needs this three times a week. Are you willing to do this for your wife? And the guy thought for a minute and he said, well, I can drop her off on Monday and Wednesday, but on Fridays I fish. <laughs> you see, not one of Jesus' disciples was a professional. Many of them were fishermen like that guy. They weren't professionals. They were just ordinary, average men. And what you need to hear is that Jesus' first disciples and I and all of you were all epic failures at the religious game. And so Jesus is trying to tell us 
that uh, unless our righteousness exceeds and surpasses the scribes and Pharisees, we, that we don't have a chance. And he's confronting the, the legalistic and the minimalist, minimalistic interpretation of God's law in this section. And he's confronting uh, those of us who have conformed our lives to a pattern of, of Christian subculture that, and, and not necessarily the kingdom of God. You see, we oftentimes can hide behind our, our do-goodness attitude, call ourselves spiritual or, or religious, and Jesus is calling all of those people out right now, you and I included. And so he gives us a few illustrations coming up next about how it was common of the people of those days to keep that law. And then Jesus says, if you think that you've mastered this because you haven't done this, let me give you uh, something else to think about. It's, it, it's been 107 years now since uh, the Titanic uh, sunk, uh, which was seen as uh, the biggest, most unsinkable ship in the history of the world 107 years ago uh, sunk. And uh, it hit an iceberg. And have you guys ever seen a picture of a full iceberg? Um, it's quite remarkable. Uh, here's a, a, a one picture. I, I love this. Uh, if you see uh, the, 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 an iceberg, this is the totality of that iceberg. But what you actually see is just this tip of the iceberg, right? When you're sailing over here and looking and you say, oh, look at that nice big iceberg, you don't realize the majority of it is beneath the surface. And in our lives, what people see is the tip of the iceberg. You don't see everything beneath the surface. You ever hear that phrase, that's just the tip of the iceberg? That means that's just, just the beginning of what you're starting to see. That's not the whole picture of things. And I love this image because what it shows us is that, that there's, there's so much more to an iceberg that you and I would never realize. There's a massive part of an, ice, of an iceberg that belongs below the surface. And it gives us an idea that there is so much more beneath the surface in our lives as well. And this is what Jesus is trying to get in these next uh, four examples here that we're going to go through is he's saying, okay, you don't think you're that sinful. So you don't think that, uh, or you think uh, you can obey God's law to every finite detail. Well, let's just take a quick look at what's below the surface. And so Jesus, when he talks in these next four examples, he's saying, yeah, this part is obvious. But what I'm talking about is all of this. In the first section in chapter 21, we're going to talk about murder. Well, the, the, the sixth commandment says, thou shalt not murder. And when you hear that, you think, hey, tip of the iceberg, I've got it nailed. I haven't killed anybody recently. I've got that part nailed. Next commandment, right? Tip of the iceberg, you look okay, move on. I've got that nailed. And what Jesus says, oh no. I'm going below the surface. And so let's look at verse 21. It says, uh, Matthew chapter 5 in verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old that you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Right? That's the given. That's the tip of the iceberg. Ready to go below the surface? He then goes on and he says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And so the disciples and the people there are, are thinking, they're like, oh, snap. You mean thou shalt not kill goes beyond just killing somebody? I don't know if they said, oh, snap. I just, I just interpreted it, but... 
They're, they're thinking, what the heck is going on? I haven't killed anybody re- recently. And Jesus is saying that it goes far beyond the surface level of that commandment. There's, there's more below the surface that's out of the public eye that God knows about, and he wants you to deal with that thing right now. And so he's equating uh, anger with your brother to murder. And what do those two things have in common? It's a heart issue, right? It's a hardness of heart. And in all of these things, God is looking right through your actions, your religiousosity, and he's going right into your heart. And you're going to see a pattern in every one of these where, where Jesus says, you have heard it said, and he's referring to like the Ten Commandments or the, the common law of the day. And then he says, but I'm going beneath that. And you see that in this first glimpse. And so if you have your outline, uh, the, first item, the, the next thing there is, is about murder. And it says that you shall not murder. But Jesus says, you should also not be angry at my brother or insult my brother. So when you see that commandment, thou shalt not murder, and you felt pretty good about your holiness, what Jesus is saying is it goes way beyond that. Let's look at this next section, this next uh, area that uh, Jesus wanted to talk about, and that was with uh, adultery. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, he started with the tip of the iceberg and then it went right below the surface. Another fisherman story. I only have two in my life. I'm going to give you both of them right now. Early one Saturday morning, about 4.30 in the morning, this fisherman decided to, to go out fishing like he does every Saturday morning. And he went out, he got dressed, he went out to the garage, got all this stuff put together and was about ready to back out. And he opened the garage and realized that there was just a torrential downpour of rain and the wind was howling and it was just really nasty outside. He thought, it's not going to be fun going out fishing like that. I'm just going to go back into bed. And so he went in the house and he, he, uh, he changed his clothes and he started crawling into bed and, and he says to his wife, he said, boy, it's really raining hard out there right now. And his wife says, yeah, can you believe my stupid husband's out fishing in that? It's an adultery story. Again, Jesus affirms the law by saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you, if you simply look lustfully at a woman, your heart is in a posture of committing adultery. And so the, the bullet's answer there, what you want to write in is that you shall not commit adultery, but Jesus also says not to look at others with lustful intent. And so the religious people at that time, they're thinking, hey, I'm okay. I haven't uh, cheated on my spouse. But Jesus has said it does not end there. If you've even thought about somebody else, if you've had inappropriate thoughts about somebody, you have committed a sin. Going beneath the surface. He goes to the section of divorce, verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now, the biblical picture of marriage is a a lifetime union. Uh, Divorce was uh, never part of God's original plan. It was his beautiful picture of two becoming one flesh, right? Uh, A man and a woman becoming one flesh and, uh, and becoming this perfect union of one. That is the picture of marriage. And in Deuteronomy, because uh, of of Israel's hardness of heart, uh, Moses offered a certificate of divorce. What was happening there is that uh, uh, men were uh, were marrying women and then they were being abusive. They were were taking advantage of them. Uh, It was just bad because they knew they couldn't divorce or leave this man. 
And Moses said, that's not right. There needs to be cases that you're allowed to divorce. And in fact, I will give you permission by giving you this certificate. Well, fast forward to now uh, the, the, the time that Jesus is speaking this. Uh, you're seeing uh, this, that, that Moses' permission had led to this, this rampant permissiveness. And, and men in Jesus' day had uh, taken the opportunity to objectify women, to get rid of women as easily as they wanted to. Uh, there's some journals that say that, that men were allowed to get rid of, the, rid of their wives even if they burnt toast. Women, have you burnt toast recently? You're safe now. It's all right. But so Jesus is, is addressing this saying that, you know, at first you wouldn't allow women to divorce and it was abusive and sinful. Now it's gotten way the other way too liberal where, you know, if, you, if she just doesn't look as young as she was five years ago, you can get rid of her. And Jesus is saying, that's not right. That is not right. He says in verse 32, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immor- immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. He's saying that divorce is possible in extreme cases of sexual immorality or, or, or abuse or perver- uh, per- uh, perversion. But this, uh, uh, and this is in your outline, divorce is not part of God's original plan outside of those areas. And divorce outside of God's permission is actually adultery. And one of the reasons that, that he's doing this, that Jesus is saying this, is he's trying to protect the dignity of women from men who would objectify them and leave them for any reason because he wants to uphold the dignity of marriage found in Genesis 1 and 2. That you have made a, a covenantial commitment to your spouse to never leave, to never leave. And so if you were a religious guy at that time and you have not divorced, you know, but, you, but you're, 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 uh, you're not good to your wife. He's saying that's sinful. Or if you're a, a guy who married a wife and you're just loose with uh, uh, letting your wife uh, d- divorce and just say, oh, you know what? Your, your breath smells bad this morning. You're gone. He's saying that's bad too. And if you do that, that's just as bad as divorcing or murder or some of these other things. See, that's going beneath the surface of the iceberg. This last area is in verse 33. It has to do with with an oath. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old that you should not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And then going into verse 37, it says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. People were, were, were swearing oaths in Jesus' day in order to show their level of sincerity and their level of, of commitment. And uh, that had gotten out of hand. So the, the, the point that you want here is that uh, you shall not swear falsely, but Jesus is saying to conduct yourself with honor and integrity. You see, at that time, people weren't being men and women of honor, men and women of integrity, even within the church or, or the religious circles. They were saying, ah, if you just swear an oath, like if you, you know, you've heard, I swear on my grandmother's grave or I swear on the Bible or I, I do these, these, there's, there's, you know, these swearing things and having these oaths. But Jesus, what he's saying is, you don't need to do that. Just be men and women of honor and integrity. He's saying that my community is a community of, of, of this honesty and integrity. And he's saying, simply let your yes be yes or your no be a no. Now, the, the point of Jesus' teaching here is uh, every single one of us is phased in some way. 
You are phased by sin. We can't be unfazed by the teachings of Jesus. And he's just spoken to your condition and to my condition with, with, with just absolute pers- precision. Right? He knows intimately that uh, what's going on in your heart right now. And the first point is that Jesus confronts sin. Because uh, the law means something to Jesus. Rules mean something to Jesus. Keeping their commandments and keeping the laws are important to him. And so he confronts those sitting in front of him who are not keeping those things. Jesus confronts our hearts, not just our external behavior, our surface level, what people can see, but he exposes our deepest and darkest motives, the parts of our hearts that, where we are truly sick. And he's intimately familiar with our affections, motives in our hearts. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I am becoming more and more aware uh, that for myself, the capacity of self-deception is astounding. I can be really good at convincing myself that I am doing good, that I am being good. And I always want to put forward a picture of, of strength, right? Of, of having things together. And the reason I do that is because I'm ashamed of my weakness. I'm ashamed at, at what's beneath the surface, ashamed at the, the sickness that my heart still has. And so I can easily put up a false front. I can act like a certain uh, way that's not true with what my heart really is. Put together a forward, a, a projection of, of strength and, and having it together. And I don't know about you, but for me, when I do this for such a long time, do you know what happens? I actually start to believe it. I start to believe the person that I've tried to, to make myself into. That maybe I am strong, that maybe I am that put together. And here's the thing, it is easier to be religious than it is to be surrendered. Don't you see that with your life too? It's just so much easier to, to, to keep the commandments, to, to, to go out there and not murder somebody, and I got it nailed today. To go out there and don't lie, steal, uh, steal and, and cheat, and then say, I've got it all put together. I'm good, I'm righteous, and I'm holy. That's so much easier. Being religious is so much easier than being sur- surrendered, surrendered. It's easier to put a false uh, face on Sunday than to actually surrender yourself to Christ wholly and completely, uh, both the top portion, the tip of the iceberg, and the bottom portion. And over the past several weeks, I've been reminded that uh, freshly of my weakness and my brokenness without even realizing it, without even realizing, realizing that I was sinning against God by doing that. And I had a moment of clarity that's that you're not even aware of your sin. And oh my gosh, I'm at this point where I'm saying, I'm so sorry that my weakness and my brokenness is, is, is astounding, God, and I need your grace. The sickness beneath uh, the water is exposed. And I'll tell you this, whenever you meet God in your sickness, whenever you meet God in your vulnerability, it's there you'll be reminded how deep God's love is for you. When you're true with yourself and you know the sickness of your heart, you know where you are weak and you're just honest with God about that, the grace and the love that you feel is astounding. And it's in those moments where I'm reminded, for God loved me so much that he gave me his son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That's awesome, amen? 
See, you can know the law by heart without knowing the heart of the law. And that's what Jesus is getting after. It doesn't matter if you've memorized the law, what you're called to do, what he's saying right here is know the heart of the law. Over the last week, few weeks, I've been learning that I'm more disobedient than I ever th- thought, but also more loved than I ever imagined. And that's a good place to be. And then it, that is probably true of you this morning that Jesus is trying to expose for us his grace in his kindness, in his mercy, that you are more disobedient than you ever imagined. And the next point is that Jesus isn't after your religious obedience. He's after your hearts. That's what this whole section is about, is about not being religious. He's not after our religiousness. He's after our hearts. And so you haven't murdered, you haven't committed adultery. Uh, do you know what I'm after? He's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not after your religious obedience, obedience, but I'm after your heart. I'm here to make what is broken well, what is sick healthy. And the second point is that Jesus forgives sinners. He forgives sinners. He confronts us in our sin and as an act of grace, but he also forgives sinners. Look back at, at verse 17 where he says, do you not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Everything in this passage, everything that we've talked about today hangs on one word, and that's that word fulfilled. And what does it mean that Jesus has come to fulfill in our lives? Well, the Old Testament uh, uh, prophets had teached a message of God creating a world that was perfect, that our rebellion brought sin and darkness and weakness into God's world. And now that there were rebels in the kingdom, and rather than, uh, than reflecting God, we now, ref- we now uh, rather than reflecting God, we now rival God. But that the day was coming where God would restore all things. As Jesus' disciples hear him say the word fulfill, their, their ears perk up because they now know the Old Testament and they're reminded about this passage in Jeremiah 31 that says this, behold, the days are coming declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel uh, and the house of Judah, and not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Catch this, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them, I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Did you catch that? It says uh, it is, it's no longer on stone tablets. He says, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will etch it not on the stones of flesh and I will be their God and they will be my people. And then he says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. What's happening there is that's, that's Jesus trying to say two things, that writing God's law on our hearts, not a looseness of the Bible, the law is still prevalent there. It's not legalism, but it's God's law instinctively placed within us and forgiveness of sin is coming as he comes to fulfill the law, right? He's saying, I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. Not only does Jesus confront sinners, but what else does he do here? He offers forgiveness for sinners, Later in Matthew uh, 26, 26, 28, he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
Jesus has come to shed his blood so that you and I may be forgiven, that you and I who, who sometimes think that we're, we're JV sinners, but often find out that we're varsity level sinners, that Christ died for you. And the next point is that the blood of Christ is strong enough to cover your sin and strong enough to bring you near Jesus. The reason he forgives you is to bring you closer to him, to bring you closer to God. Now, the third part is this, that uh, he came to confront sinners. He came to forgive sinners. But here's the third and most important part. You want to get all three of these things. Jesus transforms hearts. That's what the sermon ultimately is about that he has come to put the law on their hearts. Paul says this in Romans 8, 1 through 4, that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Did you catch that? What the law could not do. They're probably thinking that, right? Jesus' time saying, what, the law couldn't do something for us? God has now accomplished this by his spirit, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness requirement of the law might, uh, what is that? It'd be fulfilled. I didn't come to abolish, I came to fulfill who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And here's the next point in your, in your bulletin outline is that the gospel is not there uh, just to uh, save you from something. The gospel is meant to bring you to something. The gospel is not justification. It's also sanctification. And see, uh, proof of spiritual maturity is not how, how pure you can become, but rather the uh, awareness of your impurity. The very awareness of your impurity opens the door to grace. And then through the power of the spirit today, we can be transformed from being, uh, from being uh, angry to being peaceful from being lustful to being pure, to being, from being deceitful to being honest, from being vindictive to gracious, from being hatred, having hatred in our hearts to having a heart of love. And eventually, these will be our instincts. But that doesn't happen unless you allow Jesus to save your sin and transform your heart. And the final point here is that Jesus has come to offer you life through repentance. Repentance is not condemning, it's freeing. It's agreeing with God about this portion that's beneath the water. Being honest with yourself about that big portion beneath the water outside of everybody else's eyes and saying, God, you know about this, take this from me. You know about this big old chunk of ice underneath the surface that nobody else does. Take this from me and forgive me and, and, and help me turn from that. So the question for you this morning is, where is Jesus confronting you? Where is Jesus saying, hey, I know the stuff beneath the surface. You may have a, a certain projection about you in public eye, but what is beneath the surface that Jesus is confronting you today, that he's convicting you of, that he's challenging with uh, you today to, to, to challenge you to, to tackle? I'm reading a book right now from uh, Steve Timmis, uh, who's the Acts uh, 29 president, who's uh, the book title, uh, I Wish Jesus Hadn't Said That. Isn't that a great title? I Wish Jesus Hadn't Said That. What are things in your life that you wish Jesus hadn't said? You know, John, we, we've, we've said this um, uh, before. John has, uh, quotes uh, Jesus by saying, 
if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But you don't keep commandments until you have this love for him first. Otherwise, you just keep commandments out of obedience like you listen to your parents because you're afraid of getting a whooping or something. When you love God, you keep his commandments. So let's go the, the, the reverse of that. If you don't keep my commandments, then you're not loving me. So if you are here today and, and you know those things in your life where you're not keeping God's law, when you're not living a, a, a right life, what is it that God has to prove to you so that you will love him more today? What has he not done enough for you already where he needs to prove to you more so you love him more and you are obedient more into him? Where is God confronting you today? What are those areas beneath the surface where you need him to come in and just uh, uh, wreck you and, and, and get you to fall on your knees and submit to him in those areas? Will you pray with me? Father God, we have areas in our life um, that are outside public view, that are outside maybe even the view of those who know us the absolute most. And Lord, I just pray that uh, those things you will deal with us this morning. Lord, would you pull the, the blinders off our eyes, with the, the scales off of our hearts? Would you allow our hearts to be exposed to you this morning? And may our cry be, Lord, more of you. Take less of me and, and give me more of you this morning. Father, we thank you for your promises. Mm-hmm.